0: are listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. Uh, I'm thrilled again that you hear my name is Jared Ruddy. I'm the lead pastor of City Lights and uh, I'm thrilled. How many people saw our article in the Scranton Times? Anybody? That was great. Um, I'm I'm thrilled. It was great. We had a lot of rumors going around that our church closed because uh, we weren't downtown anymore. So it's great to see uh, people seeing that we're not only closed, but we're growing and expanding. I know that if we had this, this crowd today in our old box, it would feel really, really small. So it's great to have a bigger shoe for us to grow into. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. Um, I have a message that I'm extremely thrilled about. I'm not going to keep you too long today. I'm sure you have roasts in the oven. I never understood why people would put a roast in the oven and then go to church. Uh, We don't really put a time to our services, um, but this morning I don't want to keep you too long. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to share something this morning with you. Um, It's amazing to me that for a large part of human history, uh, the people on the earth, people on earth, believe that the earth was flat. How many people know that this morning? For a large part of human history, they believe that the earth was flat. Let me try that one more time. I feel like we're still waking up. For a large part of human history, they believed that the earth was, say it with me, flat. They believed that the earth was flat. Now, it amazes me because there were actually voyages, listen, that were never sailed because people were scared to what? Fall off the edge of the earth. Now, that, that's unbelievable, I think, for us, you know, in a modern society to even try to grasp that there was a people group or ages of time that would not sail Pass a certain boundary. And uh, it's interesting, I was doing a little bit of study on it. There's actually still people today that, be- that believe the earth is flat. I'm not quite sure how. Uh, we're going to work through that later, but uh, somehow they, they do. See, it's, it amazes me, though, that there were actually people that wouldn't sail past a certain boundary. See, a, a, a normal six-foot man uh, at just sea level can stare about 2.9 miles. That's about as far as the human eye can see because of the curvature of the earth that starts to kind of round out. And I feel like what happens in Christianity is that we've come to see, listen, so much. We've seen only about 2.9 miles of what God has for us because we see this is our perception. I can understand this. I can see this. I can grasp this. Therefore, this is it. See, Proverbs chapter 18 Tells us something like this that the first person to share a message to you appears to be true, whether it's true or not. The first person that shares something with you, it's true. How many people have ever got into trouble over that? Somebody shared something to them before you got to talk to them? Anyone? I've been in situations like that where someone will say something and you're like, yo, I almost said that. Or it, and We've all been in situations like that because Proverbs 18 says the first thing that's spoken seems to be right until somebody else and has to wait out carefully. And my fear is this, like I stated before, people's concept of church is, is really unique. Because we grow up with a certain concept of church and we say, well, this is who God is and this is what we're taught. And whether or not it is true, whether or not it's from the source, we say, that's it because we heard it first. We've seen it with our 2.9 mile vision. That's all we see. But that would be the equivalent of somebody standing on the beach being able to say, oh, I've seen all the oceans of the world. What happens when we see just with our own perception It's time that we go to the very source of what God has for us. I'm afraid that honestly, you know, if everyone's like, I'm not sure about church and everything. I, I feel like, listen, the reason that people don't have a passion for God is because the God that we're showing them is radically different than that in the Scripture. I can't imagine how many people haven't really pressed out in the sails of their life actually trying to explore the depths of God because they've heard that he's just this little flat box and you don't want to go off the edges. And the fact is, I, today we're going to the source to the scripture. If you have your Bibles in the seat back in front of you, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible in front of you, if you don't have, a, uh, have one, that's our gift to you. Go ahead and, and take that. Um, you can try to eBay it if you want. You're probably not going to get too much, though. We bought them in bulk. But that is our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, go ahead and grab one of those. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to encourage you, as we read the context of this letter, we're not just reading about a Stoic people that were encapsulated in perfection. I think sometimes we approach the Bible as if we're reading about Christian people who have reached some state of perfection that everything is worked out in their lives. But in fact, the Book of Corinthians, Paul is writing to probably the most carnal New Testament church to be. Now, let me let me, let me describe your neighbor for a second—not the neighbor beside you, I hope—but. In the book of Corinthians, he talks about people that are stuck in sexual immorality, in homosexuality, in incest, in lying, in disputes. People are bringing lawsuits against people in the church. Imagine sitting here and the person beside you, you're in the middle of a lawsuit. Mark and Kenny this morning are like, well, I know we're on the worship team together, but I'm going to sue you. Why? Because I want to. Now, Paul's writing to a church in the midst of dysfunction. We think that the scripture is written to perfect people. Paul's writing letters to imperfect, broken people, to absolute dysfunction. It's like the person that you live beside, right? How many people have crazy neighbors? I hope that's not on the news. Okay. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the person beside you. Come on, Paul is writing into dysfunctional circumstances and he's bringing something that's absolutely radical and transformative in nature by what he's saying. Read with me this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new's come. Now, I want you to see this. He starts off by saying anyone. How many people know anyone's broad? This gospel is broad. This gospel is broad. When Paul writes this letter, his understanding, uh, we got to hammer this until it absolutely infects our core. We've kind of like taken people that know Christ, people that don't know Christ, and we create a philosophy that looks something like, well, if I can clean up my life first, then I'll come to Christ. How many people have ever talked to someone like that? If I can clean my life up first, if I can get my act together, then I'll come to Christ. I've got great news for you. The gospel is not about you making yourself a better person. The gospel is not about you making yourself a better person. It's not about you perfecting who you are. The gospel is about Christ's perfection in spite of our imperfections in the midst of it. See, Paul writes to a dysfunctional, carnal group and says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone's in Christ, I, I love that because I have this natural tendency, I just have to be honest with you this morning, that when I walk around on the street and I, am just interacting with people, I can kind of go, oh, they're probably never going to come to Christ. How many people, you know, you're looking, oh, probably not. And that's like, even in conversations, you're like, I've known this guy 25, 30 years. I've only been 23. So if I know him 30 years, it'd be seven years in the womb, kind of the thought. I'm not even sure how it'll work, but. I'm actually 45. I just take vitamins. But anyways. I mean, seriously, think, think with me though. You, you, we kind of have classifications for people, don't we? We look at them and we think, well, these are kind of good moral people and oh, they're just so close to being a Christian. They're, they're, they're so close to being a Christian. Well, they're, they're so far from being a Christian. I've got incredible news for you. In the gospel, there is no one that's close and no one that's far away. Everyone in Christ is this far away. All it is is turning to him and placing our faith in what he has done. See, the book of Proverbs says it something like this, that a righteous man falls seven times. A righteous man falls seven times. I remember reading that and I was thinking, how can you be righteous and continually fall? Uh, I'm not a big fan of falling or tripping, stumbling. The times I do, typically people laugh at me. I'm not sure, maybe it's just me. And I was reading this, I'm thinking, how can Proverbs say that a righteous man falls seven times? A righteous man falls seven times. I thought, this is odd. Let's continue to read in Second Corinthians, he says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Watch this. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I want you to notice this last verse is absolutely integral. For our sake, he made him to be no sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Joel, could you stand up just for one second? I want to show this to you because we have a tendency again that even though we believe theologically or even doctrinally, we'll say we're forgiven and Christ has forgiven us. I want you to see this this morning. Just hold your hands out for a second like as if you were on a cross. When Christ came to the earth, this is what took place. All of the sins of humanity was placed on Him, was placed on a sinless perfect savior. All of my sins, all of the sinfulness was placed on him, judged and nailed to the cross, him being crucified. My sin died with him. You, you can sit down. Now, now watch this. How many people have heard of the, the law of double jeopardy? I'm not talking about the do-do-do. Uh, uh, work with me here. Everyone's like, man, I can't stand that show. I had nightmares when I was younger from double jeopardy. How many people know what the law of double jeopardy is? Not, not when you get bonus round. Okay, the law of double jeopardy. The law of double jeopardy says what? That you cannot be charged for the same crime twice. Come on. If it's charged once, it, it, it can no longer be charged again. You can't be charged for the same crime twice. Listen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus was punished on your behalf, when you come to faith in Christ, it is impossible and illegal for you to be judged for the sin that Christ was punished for. Wow. Wow. This isn't just something that we are judicially stamped with. This is something that experientially we can experience. We've made Christianity something about trying to perfect our lives, and this is what a Christian looks like. Listen, a Christian doesn't look like this. A Christian looks like brokenness that has been saved by grace and is modeling it to everyone everywhere we go. Christianity, in essence... This whole thing is about, it's not about attending a church service. It's not about worshiping during a couple songs. I don't know what that was. That was a tw- twitch of my wrist and a half guitar. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not about just t- doing a couple religious activities. It's about coming to know a God who's absolutely in love with you. In fact, he's so far in love with us that we, we, couldn't, absolutely, we couldn't comprehend it if we want to. I run into so many people and I talk about the love of God. They're like, well, I'll just clean myself up. And then once I get my act together, then I'll come to faith in Christ. Have you ever tried to clean a fish before you catch it? You try to to get your hands in on that thing? That thing's gone before you get your hands in the water. Unless you're bare grills and you can just go right at it. See, the beautiful part of this whole story is that the active agent in the scripture is not us, it's God. From the beginning of time, whether you believe this is allegorical or real, God breathed into the dust of the earth. He breathed into the dust of the earth, forming man. That was God's sovereignty, his divinity breathing into us. That word in the Greek, or actually in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, and also in the Greek and the New Testament, is the word wind, its breath, its spirit, its life. God breathed his breath and life into us. The only thing that sustains us this morning is not our human effort, it's not our abilities. Every breath you breathe is initiated by God. I want to encourage you this morning on this Easter season that we don't have to work for a resurrection. Our Savior found us. Second Corinthians 5, look with me again. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. The resurrection of Christ is not a second try at your old life. The resurrection of Christ is not you supposed to try harder and, well... Now that I've heard this, I believe I'm going to try to do my best for God and prove to him that I'm a good moral person. I'm going to show God because I can do it. No, the gospel's this. The gospel is Christ has finished it all. When he said it is finished on the cross, every time, listen, every time we try to prove to God outside of what Christ has done, what we say to him is this, Jesus, my blood, sweat, and tears is stronger than yours. Every time that I wake up in the morning and I try to gain right standing with God outside of what he finished for me on the cross, I look at him and I say, you know what, I'm thank, thank you for what you did on the cross, but actually, I think I can do a little better for you this morning. I think I can prove to you a, a little better that if I can read enough, how many people ever try to read the Bible through in a year? You get stuck in Leviticus and you're like, what on earth is this? I remember growing up, I was reading, like, one of these devotional plans that had, like, f- read five chapters a day or something. Um, my goodness, I was, like, mixing up stories by the end of the thing. Listen, I want to encourage you, read for depth, not length, all right? It, it, that's Okay. But what we've done subconsciously is we've created this system. And every time we approach God, we go, you know what, if I can just worship a little louder, if I can give a little more, if I could do a little more, then somehow God will be pleased with me. And the gospel is this, that God is pleased with you in Christ. There's nothing you can do or can't do that would separate you from him. Romans says... That nothing can separate you from the love of God. No height, no depth, no angel, no demon. Nothing can separate you. The one thing that Paul doesn't list there, though, is you. See, the one person that can separate you from the love of God is yourself. You you can. You can literally say, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not this. And you know what? Martin Luther has a great quote. Martin Luther back in the 1500s said, Every time Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me because God saves sinners. Wow. (laughs) Every time Satan tells me I'm a sinner, he comforts me because God saves sinners. It's the grace of God. It's his light that shines most in darkness. I want to challenge you this morning that if you're here under the sound of my voice or friends in your sphere of influence, there's nothing that you have done that has separated you from God's saving power. All it takes, all it takes is a simple turn in place, faith in what has taken place. Let me challenge you for one second. I can just, I want to, you know, the resurrection, it was something entirely unprecedented. The resurrection of Christ wasn't something that was planned for. It wasn't something that if you understood in New Testament times at the scene that when Christ appeared on the earth in first century Judaism, the resurrection wasn't something that was anticipated to happen in time and space. See, the resurrection was something that was supposed to happen at the end of the world. Jewish culture says that there will be a resurrection, now, the Sadducees, some of the teachers of the law, didn't believe that that would happen, and the Pharisees believed that that would. So, I want you to understand that there's some of these thoughts that come around, well, well maybe Jesus just kind of faked his resurrection. Maybe some of the people didn't know what to do. I, I would challenge you, first of all, study that out. There's a great book called Surprise by Hope by N.T. Wright. He goes just in great detail on the radical nature of the resurrection. It was absolutely unprecedented absolutely not anticipated. The idea of a resurrection in the middle of time changes humanity. This wasn't something that the earth was anticipating. This is something that was entirely unprecedented, and in it, Christ was not only, watch this, paying redemption for our souls in the future, but initiating and inaugurating a new way of life now. A new way of life now. As the church, we've relegated everything to the end of the world when Christ returns. And I want to tell you that the gospel has power in the now. Not just in the not yet. Your addiction, your brokenness, your selfishness. See, all of us are saved from unrighteousness. And it's either two, two, two ways. It's either filthy unrighteousness or pretty self-righteousness. We're all saved on one of those spectrums. I ask you and I'll say, are you a good person? And you look to the person beside you and go, I know what he did. I know what she did. See, we are saved from being our own saviors. Watch this. Watch this, please. See, self-righteousness looks and goes, well, I'm not, I'm not bad. I haven't done necessarily anything evil or wrong. No, you found your identity in something smaller than Jesus you found your identity and purpose in something smaller than Jesus no you're not into some something that we would classify as filthy and carnal and something that's wrong and evil no the truth is, most of us in America, we have a pretty nice society. The way that this thing looks, it, it functions pretty good. I mean, most of us will really never make the news unless we do something extremely far out of the ordinary that we can label as that's wrong. But yet, every day, if we're honest with ourselves, we cling to things and in our hearts, in our minds, worship things that are smaller than Jesus. And you know you do because the moments it's taken away, your life is rocked. When money starts to get tight, it's my life's a wreck. When we lose a relationship, when a friendship begins to rattle. See, we're saved not only from unrighteousness, but self-righteousness. The beauty of the gospel is that all fall short of the glory of God. And listen, that's not on your worst day. That, that's on your best day. We don't, we don't fall short of his glory. How many people have had a bad hair day? How many people live with a bad hair day? How many people just shave their heads because you're like, I don't want to live with a bad hair day. <laughs> I've anticipated that comment. I'm waiting for it, all right? You wake up and you're like, Man, that was just a bad day. I remember a few months back. Oh, it was a terrible day for me. It was an absolutely terrible day. I, I had a flat tire in my car, then I was borrowing a friend of mine's truck, and as I'm driving, I get a whole a flat tire, and then as I'm driving back, then of course as we're changing the tire, it starts to rain. And then as it's raining and we're changing the tire, my wife calls me and says, I lock the keys in the other car. How many of you know that's a bad day? I can confidently say when I went home that night, I felt short of his glory. <laughs> I, I want to tell you this, though. The gospel doesn't just tell us that we fall short on our bad days. The gospel is on our best day, our best human effort. We still, it's, it's like a little kid that's just jumping right? When you were little, everything looked like you could, you know, there was no, you had no dimensions when you were younger. Your head was the size of your body and you were just jumping. I never understood that. Kids are, kids are so beautiful. They're so cute. I mean, we come out with huge heads and beady eyes. Anyways, I'm just saying. When you're younger, we have no perception. We're like, we can do it. See, and it's amazing that as we grow up, we begin to understand our confines, our limitations, But yet somehow it's lost in translation where we believe that we can still impress God or please him in what we do. I want to tell you this morning, let's rest. Let's celebrate the fact that nothing can bring us closer to God and nothing can separate us from God because of his resurrection. This morning... Uh, I, I want to I give you an incredible opportunity. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up front or do anything like that. I'm simply saying this. Place faith in what God has done on our behalf. The harder that we work as human systems, I don't, I don't understand why we, we don't see this. Everywhere we look, our country is getting into debt and different things. The, the, the harder we try, it's like the worse we get. Does anyone ever notice that? We fight, you know, we fight for world peace. Think about it. All right, no one got that. (laughs) We fight for world peace. We try to bail ourselves out of debt by putting ourselves in more debt. See, human effort. sooner or later, we just have to realize that we were created for something bigger than us. But yet most of us will go through our lives like the Grand Canyon attendee that's supposed to walk you around, and we just become bored of the beauty that's around us. Have you ever been there? You go to the state park, and the guy's like, oh, here's the Grand Canyon. I'm here every day. It's like going to the Swiss Alps and locking yourself in a room full of mirrors. Focusing on your perfection, on your righteousness instead of Christ's. Listen, is the only thing that can separate you from God. This is good news. This is not only good news, this is great news. Because God has not only saved us from sin, but he's empowered us in a new way of life. This morning, you may come from the most absolutely dysfunctional background. Listen, this morning, we weren't all born into this thing like, this is just perfect, like I grew up and it just all clicked and it all made sense. And we're just here. How many people can, can testify that this morning that your life was different before Christ? Now, I'm not going to do this, all right? We don't have any more slideshows. Hold your breath. Don't hold your breath, you'll pass out. But listen. Uh, How many people would say that if, if, if people knew what I did in the past before Christ, I would be ashamed? Yeah. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel says that's okay because what Christ has done, there's nothing you can do that can separate you from his love. Let's pray. Father, I asked this morning on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Day, Lord, that you have through the cross, you've created a new way. Not that we just go through our lives aimlessly working towards a, a better world, but Lord, that you have actually made that a possibility. And uh, Lord, we're thankful for what you're doing in this church. Thankful for what you're doing in this city. We thank you that the answer to um, the problems here is a, is not harder human effort. But it's it really just understanding what you've accomplished for us, and out of that posture, beginning to represent that. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. I don't want to keep you too long. I do want to give you an opportunity that if you don't know Christ as your savior, and what that means is you don't know Christ, you don't know Christ as your, as your righteousness. maybe you've clung to your human effort, your ability to please God maybe you've clung to your ability to run from god this morning i want to encourage you that in this next song if we could just sing in christ alone as we celebrate the resurrection this morning place our faith in christ that he rose from the dead that doesn't how many people know that doesn't happen all right no one's listening this morning that's all right i'll work next we'll be here next week he rose from the dead Death couldn't hold him. Why do you think your sin can? Why do you think that your struggles can? This morning, let's give our struggles to him. Let's give our righteousness to him that says, God, I'm being a better Christian, I've been doing better lately. You know what, this morning, let's just let him be our savior. After we sing this song, we're going to close this morning. I want to encourage you, don't run out of the building. We don't do anything That you need to be afraid of. Right on the other side of these beautiful doors, we have a cafe. If you're a guest with us this morning, we have a gift for you. We've got a Starbucks gift card, a book, a CD, a couple other things for you to grab. We'd love for you to take that. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed this this morning. We're encouraged. Let me also say that this is a family you can connect to. This isn't just a church service that you need to run from, but this is people that want to help you. There's no dumb question, there's nothing you can ask. It's okay to doubt, it's okay to question. We actually encourage you to question things rather than just mindlessly agree, okay? So I want to encourage you, stick around, get to know one of us, we'd love to. We'll be at the cafe. Thank you so much for attending this morning, City Lights Church. Let's have a great Easter celebration as we sing together.